Hey, it's Kyle uh, with a quick programming note. Um, the episode that you're about to hear was recorded uh, just days before the death of George Floyd and the subsequent protests that have occurred since then. And as Providence would have it, the, the topic of the episode, prayer, we felt uh, actually speaks into the issues uh, that we're facing in our culture. Uh, the many prayers that are being lifted up to God right now uh, about inequity, about abuse of authority, uh, about racism. And so even though we don't address the issue specifically throughout the episode, we hope that you would take into consideration that our discussion on prayer certainly forms and informs the way that we should as Christians approach these issues. So without further ado, here's the episode. Hey, I'm Kyle. I'm Dave. And I'm Brad. You're listening to So What Podcast from Theology in the Middle. We've been asking questions, and this is the last question we're going to ask for this season before we take a, a summer break. And, and I think it's a really important one, especially given the circumstances that we find ourselves in, you know, uh, as families and churches, as a nation and a, and a globe during a time of a pandemic. Um, and the prayers that we offer up to God, are they listen, or is he listening and does he change his mind? It's a question I want to ask. Does, does God change his mind when we pray? Have you guys ever thought about that before? Yeah, yeah, I for sure thought about that. Um, you know, there are a couple of places in the Bible where, you know, occasionally you'll get some criticism maybe from a, a new believer or maybe a skeptic on God changing his mind. And a couple of times it appears that he does that in response to prayer. And one of them is in Jonah chapter 3. After Jonah finally gets his act together and, and winds up in Nineveh, he preaches that God's sending destruction. And uh, the people of Nineveh hear Jonah, and they're kind of cut to the heart. They call a fast and um, bow down before the Lord. And this is what they say. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So right there you go. They prayed and they acted and God changed his mind. Just like that. Yeah. Um, the initial question is, can we change God's mind in prayer? The scene we see in Jonah is an example of, purportedly God changing his mind in prayer. He says something, they pray, he does the opposite. Um, and I know I'm supposed to answer the question, and I realize that this is probably cheating because I'm going to answer the question with another question. But when we ask if God, if we can change God's mind in prayer, I'm wondering if what we're really asking is, is this question, is all of space and time history fixed or fluid? Hmm. So what you mean by that is, has God kind of ordained everything that's going to come to pass? If that's the case, then, you know, you can reason out that, no, God, you know, you, you can't change God's mind. It's already fixed. Or is there something about reality and creation that God has, has allowed for there to be, you know, an in, an incalculable amount of, like, alternatives or options? And if that's the case, then depending on... Uh, our relationship to God and his willingness to hear us out, he might, you know, actually change from option A to option B. 
Yeah, like is God watching history unfold, sitting on the edge of his couch, eating popcorn, wondering what's going to happen? And it's like an interactive choose your own adventure kind of thing. Like, oh, I really hope they pray because I kind of want to change my mind. Or how do we view God interacting with history? Because that's really what we're asking with can you change your mind, God's mind in prayer? Yeah. Yeah, this is so exciting. I'm smiling so big right now because I love where this conversation is going because, I mean, it, it, it hits us like where life really happens. Because we wake up yeah. every day making real conscious decisions, facing surprising circumstances that aren't here today and tomorrow. The world's totally different. And um, we like to believe that God is, like the scriptures say, a rock. That he's our firm foundation. That when everything around us is shifting and changing, he stays the same. And so we call out to him in prayer because when the waters are rising, we need somebody to help us, and we want to believe that he can. I, I think there's there's also this <clears throat> kind of impulse or at least a hope in some people that God, you know, while he may know all of the alternatives, he's not actually the one uh, bringing about all of history. So we're quick to give God credit when something really great happens in the, you know, the narrative of space and time. But what happens when, oh, I don't know, a novel virus runs across the globe in a pandemic? Well, did God actually do that? So you, you want to go to this space where, well, maybe there's something that we did uh, that, that could have, or we didn't do that could have prevented this, could have changed God's mind about this. But because we didn't, he said, all right, well, we're just going to go down this, this version of history. Um, and, and in that way, it kind of excuses God from the things that we find, uh, reprehensible or, or evil or wrong. Does that make sense? And, And I think a lot of people, uh, I think a lot of people want to see God as all knowing, but not the one that's causing everything he knows to happen. Uh, if you've ever listened to the So What podcast before, interacted with me, I'm sure I've repeated myself before, but I'd love to say that all theological postulation is like a tapestry, that if you tug one part, you're affecting all of it. And I think you're seeing this simple question about like how effective is prayer. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about uh, determinism. Is time fixed? We're talking about God's will, the problem of evil, that you cannot double-click on really any theological question without touching all of them, which is why it's important to have a well-fleshed-out theology. Anyone who's an expert on I don't know, election, but knows nothing about missions is like someone who has a 40 pound bicep and like two ounce legs. I don't know if that illustration stacks up, (laughs) but I mean to say we're not getting into the problem of evil, though we're touching on it. We're not necessarily talking about God's will, though I think we need to say something about it. We're going to get back to the efficacy of prayer, but I do want to delineate between uh, avenues and this. Oh, let me say this. When you read the Bible a little closer, just take, for instance, any time someone gets a vision of God or a throne room, you will see a lot of like language (laughs) similes. And it was like the face of a lion. It was like a burning sun. It was like gems and all these things. And the reason is when we consider God, he is what we call in theology, ineffable. We cannot describe him. And so we try by appropriating him and, and, and analogizing, it's kind of like this reality that we know. So in that way, all theology is limited because our language is limited. Our, our understanding is limited. 
Mm-hmm. That being said, when, we, when we're going to talk about um, layers or avenues of God's will, this is an ant trying to do astronomy. I, I, let, let's recognize the only way we can say anything about God's will and how it works is because he has revealed it to us in his word, and his word is seeing dimly in a mirror. The secret things belong to the Lord, Deuteronomy 29, 29, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. This is all preamble for, it seems, from our vantage point, when we take into account all of Scripture, that God has a desired will, what God desires at one level. Uh, I could desire to eat a donut and yet not do it because I desire something else more to lose weight. And God could desire that we would all know him, that we would all follow his law, but he has a permissive will, what God allows. He doesn't accomplish what he desires fully because he desires something else even more, that he would be glorified in all things. And in order to accomplish his desired will, he has a permissive will. He allows us, he allows things to happen. But nothing happens that is not in accordance with the third, his decreed will, what God has ordained from before the foundations of the world, that Jesus is the lamb that was slain and all of history is fixed. The scrolls of what's to come, they're sealed and only the one who's enthroned can uphold them and unravel them. And uh, he upholds the world by the word of his power. And so in that way, this question is really easy to answer. Uh, Does prayer change God's mind in the way that most mean it? God was planning to do X, but now because we prayed, he's going to do Y. No, it doesn't. To answer that question that way is to imply that history is fluid and that God is bobbing Mm -hmm. and weaving based on us. Uh, Mm -hmm. No, if the question is really, does our prayer matter? Does it do anything? I'd love to answer that question. But we do have to deal with what do we do with the passages that say God changed his mind, God relented. And I'm so glad Brad's with us because he's going to explain that to us. Well, I don't know that I have a great answer, but this is, this is how, I would, how I would do it. Whereas we are like ants trying to do astronomy, and it appears to us that history is unfolding in a certain way, when surprisingly it turns out another way, it appears as if God has changed his mind. And especially when you think about something like an impending disaster of God's judgment, which is what Jonah was preaching to the Ninevites. I mean, they were exceedingly wicked. You know, these are the people who would skin human beings alive and hang their skin on the outside of their walls. Um, These weren't people who violated the deed restrictions in your homeowners association. You know, these were bad people. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And because of that, you know, when they heard the word of the Lord that, hey, the God of all things is about to judge you for your wickedness, I mean, they knew they were wicked. That word cut them to the heart, just like it always does. When human beings are confronted with the truth of God, we feel conviction. And so uh, they expected that God was going to follow through on what he said. And when he didn't, as an apparent response to their repentance, and I mean, I, I say apparent, but I want to say as a response to their repentance, I mean, because it played out in real human time, mm-hmm. you know, it, it appeared that that is how he responded. He saw their repentance and relented of the disaster he was going to bring. And from their perspective, that's exactly what had happened. Mm-hmm. The judgment that one minute was absolutely sure and was headed right for them had been averted because they changed, because they mm-hmm. repented, they humbled themselves before God. And, you know, the sinner's prayer that many of us prayed when we got saved is almost the same thing. 
you know, because we heard the truth of the gospel that said, hey, everybody who lives their life apart from Christ will one day face his judgment unless they turn to him, repent of their sins, and trust him for salvation. We believed that. I believed that as a ninth grader, you know, and I called out to him, Jesus, save me from my sins. And he did. And after that prayer, the judgment that was for sure mine wasn't. I was in Christ. My sins have been forgiven. I stood before God declared righteous. And so I guess what I'm trying to do is navigate the, the between the two guardrails to say that in in reality, I mean, we live our lives from A to B with a progression of time that I think God condescends and enters into so that he dignifies us. I think, um, I forget who said this. Maybe you guys can help me out, but he dignifies us with causality. I think it was Pascal who said that he gives us the dignity of knowing causality, of, of, of praying for one thing and receiving it. I mean, he commands us to. You mm-hmm. have not because you ask not. You know, so we get, he enters into that progression of time, into chronology, and, and so we get to experience it. I have a lot to say to that, but I, I did wanted to kick something to Kyle. Kyle, is, if you don't know, he's the smartest of the three of us, and so thankful he joins sure. us and hangs out with us. That's uh, not I, true. I've heard a $4 word uh, pronounced before, and I wondered if you could help me understand what it means. Anthropomorphic. What is that? Well, it means um, explaining in terms that we're familiar with as humans. That's anthropos, the Greek word. Uh things that are not human. So if I was to say um, uh, an ear of corn is a really simple one. Corn doesn't actually have ears, but it's a way that we can understand there's something along the side of the corn that hangs out, right? Hmm. Um, So when a little more complicated is when you're talking about the arm of the Lord uh, or the Lord is seated on a throne, um, we're told a very clear, you know, principle and truth in scripture that God is spirit. He doesn't have flesh and blood like we do. Uh, So how can we as humans that interact in space and time and flesh and blood understand God? And so you get these pictures, these anthropomorphic pictures of uh, our experience relayed back on God. Not that God actually has a hand, but that we understand uh, our hand is something that, that you, you know, we use to accomplish our goal or our mission, especially if you go back in time uh, to speak of a ruler's hand was to speak of the ruler's authority. So if the ruler gave a thumbs up indication that war will begin in the spring, guess what happened that spring? And, and so <clears throat> what, we're, what we're trying to do when we explain uh, like the, the anthropomorphic visions of, of God is, I love your analogy, um, ants trying to do calculus. Well, how would you, or ants trying to do uh, astronomy, was it? How would you explain a black hole to an ant? <laughs> you know, I think maybe you would talk about feelers and abdomen and pinchers and how awesome the queen is. Thank you. It was so good. Uh, Brad, to your point, I, I wanted to say more often than not, I'm going to say something, you guys can lose your minds over it or disagree with me or burn me as a heretic, but more often than not, God accomplishes his purposes through secondary means. 
You're talking about causality. More often than not, God accomplishes his purposes through secondary means. The betrayal of Jesus came through the hands of Judas. The salvation of the nations through the feet of the church to go and the mouth of the church to preach. Uh, How can they believe unless they hear the gospel? We have to speak. But God's not sitting on his hands going, ooh, I really want the nations to hear. I just wish the church would move. What do I have to do? God chooses to execute his desires along the contours of prayers that are in the Son, we pray in the name of Jesus, in accordance to His will. So what do we do with these situations where it seems like, Brad, I mean, here's a little factoid for you longtime listeners, that we are not as organized as we like to be, and sometimes we're doing this on the fly. But God is gracious with us, and that sometimes He knits all these things together. Because Brad said something that's really good for me, that the word of judgment is what brings about the prayer of repentance, which makes it seem like God relents. And it's the same for you and I. Every time a sinner calls out to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cover them in the blood of their son, of his son. And yet, uh, so to Kyle's point, sometimes it's hard to explain that to an aunt. And so there are these anthropomorphic passages where it seems like God relents or he changes his mind. And I think about this often. This is my illustration. You guys can do with it what you want. There are times as a parent where my kids, you can, you can kind of uh, guess and, and, and make an educated guess on the trajectory of your kid's behavior. So imagine for a minute, I told my kids in the morning, hey, today, it's Saturday, and I'm not God. I don't know all things. I'm just a human and whatever. But I told my kids on a Saturday morning, hey, today I'm going to take you to get some ice cream. Cool. We're excited. They're jumping. Yes, ice cream. It's going to be the best. And then I say, hey, go clean your room. And after you clean your room, we'll go get some ice cream. Uh, but then 20 minutes later, I go and their room is not clean. And I say, all right, we're not getting ice cream. They panic. We'll clean our room. No, no, no. We want ice cream. And they, and they clean their room and we go and get ice cream. Now, if you asked my child to uh, detail that happenstance, they would say, dad said, we're not going to get ice cream. And then he changed his mind and we did get ice cream because of what we did. When the reality, and I'm not God and I'm so finite, the reality is the word of, all right, we're not going to get ice cream was the impetus. It preempted the obedience to say, I knew that you would do this thing when I said this. That the word, I mean, take the story of Jonah. Jonah, after Nineveh repents, is mad at God. And he said, this is why I didn't want to come because I knew you would forgive them. Forgiveness wasn't on the table. Yeah. It wasn't on the table. So it might seem like God changed his mind, but in actuality, he's preempting a decision, yeah. a free will decision. Take that illustration, destroy it or, or, or use it. What do you think? I think it's good because it gets to the, the point that maybe we want to we wanna make is um, prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes ours. Hmm. And, I, and I think at a deeper level, pray, prayer doesn't change God's heart. It changes our hearts, right? So, so God's will and his desires are static because he's eternally uh, perfect. Nothing about him changes. Um, that's really hard for us to imagine. There's nothing in this world that doesn't change. Everything is fluid. Everything is dynamic. Uh, so for us to even begin to understand what that means is is impossible, let alone trying to understand what that means in relationship to his creation. 
that that changes beneath him in, in his in his will. Uh, so what changed in your children uh, was not your desire for them to have ice cream, but their desire, <laughs> right? You, it, it was that for you to say, like, we're not going to go get ice cream or to back the analogy back up. To, so you're facing uh, judgment if you continue on this path is a reorientation of the sinner's heart to repentance. So had the person continued in sin and died in sin, would the wrath of God be on him? Yeah. Did God know the entire time that that person would repent? Yeah. How did he bring about repentance? Through a call to truth. Right. So it, it's, uh, I, I think that when we think about prayer uh, as making a petition for God to change his mind, uh, the thing that, that is floating around in the background is actually, well, this is a hope of the Holy Spirit that your mind would change. Mm-hmm. Uh, that prayer is an is a, is a intimate gift and blessing given to us by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for sanctifying purposes. He's not the one that changes. We're the one that changes. It's why we're supposed to pray, thy will be done, not my will be done, mm-hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. What we want to see is a realization and a, and of, of, a, of the visible, or the invis- let me back up. What we want to see is the invisible will of God made visible in our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and can I add on to that? It's absolutely right that Jesus died and rose again to give us the right and the privilege of entering boldly into the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in a time of need. But the crazy thing is this, that it's still not about us. Even if we're the mm-hmm. one changing, the reason, I mean, Jesus says, you know, for us to pray, to ask what we need, and the Father will give it to us. James says in James 1, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask. You know, we're told to ask so that God can glorify himself in answering our prayer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we come to him with real needs through in the name of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, to the Father, asking boldly, confidently that we're going to receive what we've asked for. And then he gives it to us in order to glorify himself. And so the whole, the, the secondary means that Dave was talking about earlier and that, yeah, God decreed maybe from the, before the foundation of the world, that such a thing was going to happen in my life, but he chose to accomplish it through the secondary mean of me asking and praying so that I would experience the deep, intimate relationship of knowing that there is a father who cares about my needs more than he cares about flowers of the fields or birds of the air, that that there is a God who's willing to intervene in my life, that there is a God who is able to provide for my needs more than I could ever ask or think, so that I could live a life that brings him praise and glory and recognizing that everything I have comes from him. Mm. So all of that to say that from our perspective, while it may appear, right, that God is responding to us, in fact, what he is doing is teaching us the real relationship that already exists, that he, he's already going to give us what we need, but he wants us to understand that it comes from him, and so he calls us to ask him for it. You said he's already going to give us what yeah. we need, and you also cited James earlier on. If, if anybody lacks. lacks wisdom, but then he said, you do not have because you do not ask. Yeah, 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 yeah. That God, sometimes if God is who God says he is, and for our vantage point, what's the point of prayer? He's already fixed the universe, da 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 da. I'm just saying, like, he's the one that tells us to pray. 
He's yeah. the one that mm-hmm. says it matters, and I don't think that's arbitrary and for no reason. I love the scene in The Magician's Nephew where uh, Polly and Diggory are on this. They're, they're getting to this trip, and they're with a horse, and the ho- and Aslan sent them on this mission, right? And the horse has provisions. He's eating, and they're like, well, where's our food? And he said, I don't know. Aslan gave this to me, and they said, well, why, did, why didn't he give it to us? He knew we would need it, and the horse says, well... Maybe he just likes to be asked, you know, (laughs) like that's on you. You didn't ask. And so God honors the secondary cause of prayer. He accomplishes his decreed will from before the foundations of the world using our prayers. He uses Mm -hmm. the intercession of Moses to spare Israel, making it seem like he changed his mind. But in actuality, brought about that prayer and honors that prayer. So does prayer have meaning? Absolutely. God uses prayer in accordance with his decreed will. And to, to pull it back to what Brad was saying, that uh, in prayer, God is most glorified. So prayer is not even about us. Um, one of the ways that God is glorified in prayer is through our right recognition of our dependence on him. So the things that you're praying for, are things that you can't, you can't get on your own. Um, and, and those things could be from like the small things like, uh, our daily needs, our daily bread, which, you know, in a culture like ours, like, well, my daily bread comes from the grocery store, but it doesn't, it doesn't. There was a long chain of grace through time and history that God allowed us to get to a point where we could just walk across the street and buy bread. Mm -hmm. He's still the one that provides for us or the, or the bigger things, the more grander things, salvation itself. I mean, to think that the same mode that God asks us to, 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 for, for bread each day is the way that he saves us is is uh is incredible so why wouldn't you want to pray oh yeah it's such a privilege so so if i'm not mistaken we're saying that history is fixed that god's not watching it unfold wondering what's going to happen he already knows the end is written from the beginning and yet prayer is real he wants us to do it and it actually matters and he does something with it uh how do what do we do with that how how do we tie this into a nice knot well the 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 ribbon of this knot is made out of mystery, first and foremost. I mean, this is, this is something that I, I don't think we can understand. What we can say is that, um, you know, faced with the alternatives, is would you want? Would you really want that? Would you really want a god that changed his mind based off of uh, his creation's will and desire? Um, I mean, these are the kind of gods that the Greeks and the Romans worshipped, that the Egyptians worshipped. Uh, these are the gods that, uh, you know, um, that that don't know the beginning from the end. That they're they're just as they may know more than we do. They may have a a, a better grasp of the picture. But I mean, God's in the same boat we are. He doesn't know what twenty twenty one is going to bring. Maybe he didn't know the COVID virus was coming five hundred years ago. Uh, for me, that's a terrifying thought because uh, if he doesn't know. And this in, in, you know, theology is classically uh, under a subcategory called open theism. So God is, is, his knowledge is open. He's still learning like we are, still progressing in his knowledge. Um, If he's not, if if he's not omniscient and we can change his mind about little things, like what if he changes his mind about other things? Uh, What if he decides that one day good is evil and evil is good? Uh, what if he decides that, you know, I, I, I don't like human beings flourishing. I don't like that human beings are made in my image. I'm going to take that image from them. 
I mean, if he can change his mind on on little things, he can also change his mind on big things, and that upends morals, ethics, beauty, value, meaning, purpose, worth. There's no stability in the world. Mm. There's no stability in the universe. So for me, I would rather it be a mystery and not understand it, at least on this side, you know, of of heaven, uh, than the alternative. The alternative to me is frightening. And just to that, I want to say, you know, and prayer is the heartbeat of the Christian life. Um, There was a time in my life where I didn't give much attention to it, um, wouldn't prioritize it in in the course of my day. Basically, you know, just live from moment to moment, hoping for the best. Um, But God's changed my perspective on that. You know, I've given more time to prayer in my day as as a portion of my day than I used to. And just want to encourage you with that. This is not primarily a theological conversation about whether God changes his mind or not. Um, this is really about God calling us to participate in, in his life even now, that by the Spirit we are able to enter into the throne room of God by the blood of Jesus to know our Father who cares for us and gives us good gifts. That prayer is the heartbeat of the relationship we all want with God. And um, we sort of deprive ourselves of the joy of the Christian life if we keep ourselves from prayer. Kyle said that we need to land in mystery, and I think we do. And in all things, when considering anything theological, we want to look to the life and practice of Jesus Christ. And there's something to be said that the scriptures are clear that uh, the plan of salvation was not plan B. It was charted from before the foundations of the world were laid. Jesus came for a mission to do his Father's will and obey even to the point of death and death on a cross. And yet in a garden before the cross, he prays if there's any other way. But not my will, but yours be done. Knowing all these things, he still vents his heart to the Father and submits his will to God's own. And there are times that you, God never changes his mind, but we also want to give God room to say no and trust that history is fixed. He is most glorified and we will receive most joy in this world. And God invites us, like you said, Brad, into this process through prayer. We have an active part. And I think, um, especially as uh, like our nation right now, and you may even know people um, suffering through illness, not only from the virus, but um, in my personal life, I've had uh, families or uh, friends um, struggle with or even succumb to cancer. Uh, And I was a part of a lot of prayers. God, why won't you heal this person? And one of the things that the Spirit reminded me is... uh, even though in those prayers, the answer might be no. That's a no that for believers uh, is a no, but there will be a resurrection, Mm -hmm. a new body, a new life that's coming. And it's also a no that's caveated with, I've been where you are. I've been in in agonizing prayer, that being the incarnated son of God in, in the garden. And he's also been through death. So when you're talking to God, you're not talking to this uh, you know, aloof um, super intelligence in the sky. But you're talking to the God who incarnated, uh, lived a life, uh, was born, grew, uh, died and rose again. Uh, so, so yeah, prayer's the heartbeat of the Christian life. I love that, that way, to, what you said, Brad. Well, I think that's a good place to end. And um, this is the last episode for this season of So What? We want to invite listeners to stay tuned. We're going to take a break for the summer. We'll be back in the fall. 
And this is kind of spur of the moment. The other guys don't know that I'm going to say this, but if you're a listener and you have an idea for a show, we'd love to hear it. Um, if you have an idea for a season, we'd love to hear it. We'd like to get input on uh, what what uh, you're thinking about, what you're concerned about, what your questions are, uh, see if we can't address them. Thanks for listening. <laughs>